Hi, my name is Steve Warren, and I want to welcome you to this podcast. I'm believing today you'll be filled with faith, you'll be energized by hope, and you'll feel loved as this message seeks to transform and empower your life. God bless you as you listen to this. Of mathematics. Thank you, guys. Let's give the band a hand. Well, you're going to pray for me all the way through this message because um, we're fasting. And I've been standing, except for the 15 minutes there, I've been standing since whatever time this morning. It's cool. It's exciting. We're all good. We're good. We're good. We're, we're, we're good. Just put that on, just for show. Hey, uh, I, I don't know. You know. I'm getting so much out of this, this 10 days. I've um, uh, had quite a busy uh, season this time last year. So what I learned from that this time was I would put into my agenda extra prayer moments. So I've found, I've found just increasing the prayer schedule doing so much good. I'd encourage you to do the same. You know, when you're not doing a full fast, uh, if you're doing a partial fast like we're doing, a Daniel fast, you can end up talking about food more than you pray. And, uh, but the idea is that we pray, and we're a church of prayer, and this is going to be a year of prayer. And I tell you what, when a church prays, anything can happen. Uh, all through history, prayer has changed the activity of the church. It's birthed things in church. So, beautiful. So last Sunday, um, we kicked off the unpacking of our vision, which is hope on every street. We've talked, uh, or we've, we've, we've used that phrase a lot, but we haven't really unpacked what it means so much. Uh, so if you missed that message, I'd encourage you to get it on podcast, uh, because it, it's really a series of three I'm doing. And encourage you to be here for all three weeks just to get the picture. Um, and each week I've got an action for us. Uh, just in a little little bit of homework, just a little, little tiny bits of homework to do. And uh, the little bit of homework last week was to commit to walking a circle around your immediate neighborhood uh, and praying. And doing that at least once a week. And, uh, and, and maybe even mapping it on your health app and posting it to encourage everybody else. Uh, so that we can see what your circle of prayer is like. Um, not what it's like, but where it is. And, uh, it just really encourages me to see you guys walking and praying. And do that all through this year. Uh, and, and even on the days you don't get out, be praying for your neighborhood. This week, uh, I'm going to be talking about something different, which has got an action attached to it. Everybody ready for action? Get some action. It's good to have some action early in the year. Uh, let me tell you about Mr. and Mrs. Porter. Mr. and Mrs. Porter were neighbors of Lisby and I when we were living in a town called Cheltenham in England uh, on Fairfield Parade. They lived at number two. We lived at number four, I think, or it was four and six. Anyway, they lived next door, and uh, they were retired, an older couple, and we would drop in on them from time to time. We just felt like they needed visits, so we dropped in and uh, got to know them. Uh, they were obviously the sort of couple who appreciated it because once in, you could never get out. Uh, they clearly didn't have a lot of visitors, um, so we had to really plan when we saw them to make sure we got the time or go with something we had to be at a half an hour or an hour later so we had an, uh, a reason to exit. Um, just giving you little tips here of how you can love people and be practical all at the same time. Uh, and so, but we would, we would visit them and, and then... One day, uh, Mr. Porter got sick, and so I visited him. I think it was in hospital, 
and he was high, really high temperature. He was delusional, and uh, uh, I don't even know if he really registered our conversation. But at one point, he said, Steve, can you, can you get that cat off the end of the bed? Now, there was no cat at the end of the bed. Very interesting scenario to be in when someone says, can you get the cat off the end of the bed and there's no cat? What do you do? Do you explain to him there's no cat and then you know you're going to get into a complicated discussion because he's going to insist there is a cat or do you just go and take the cat <laughs> off the end of the bed uh, and, and put it on the floor? Uh, and so that was the sort of relationship we had. It was sad he ended up passing away and um, leaving Mrs. Porter as a widow. I wish I could tell you that there was just a really great ending to this story. I wish I could tell you that they found Jesus or he got miraculously healed or any of that, uh, but I can't. Uh, but what I can tell you is this. Since that day, Lisbon and I have committed ourselves to doing the same over and 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 over again. Now, I ask myself, why would I do that? Because that's not my nature. I'm not a pastor by nature. Uh, I tune off after about three minutes of someone sharing their problem with me. Um, I have no sympathy for people who are suffering. Um, and, and it's, you know, maybe it's a man thing, maybe it's just me, I don't know. Uh, hopefully it's a man thing, because if it's just me, I feel really bad right now. <laughs> um, but I, I'm not wired that way, I'm task-orientated. I can think of a, a lot of things I could be doing that I could, my rationale would say was more productive than visiting someone in hospital who knew it was not me and who was delusional. But for some reason, both Lisbon and I have been compelled over the years that this is what we must do. This is what we're called to do. This is important for our lives. And, and I would hesitate to potentially even say it's what I've felt has been important since I got saved. I'm not trying to describe to you, is what I'm saying. I'm not trying to describe to you the job description of a pastor, because that's not my job description. I delegate all of that in this church. I'm not trying to describe to you a job description. I'm trying to describe to you the calling of a Christian. So turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to show you what happened in a church on an island called Crete. Anybody been to Crete? Anybody from Crete? Uh, anybody from Greece? Anybody from near Greece? Anybody been to Greece? Yeah, you are. That's true. Awesome. All right, you must all go to Crete. Anybody booked their summer holidays already? Well, okay. All right, all right, all right. Let me give you a holiday suggestion. I've called this message Hope on Every Street as we pastor our street. Or my subtitle would be As We Are Commissioned to Go. Titus 1, verse 4 says this To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order that uh, order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message 
as it has been taught. That means you must do what I say. That didn't go down well. Okay. Um, uh, be trustworthy to the message that you've been taught so that he can, uh, you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Okay, just a little geography for you. Crete is an island about twice the size of the Randstad in landmass. Uh, its population is a little smaller than Amsterdam within, that is Amsterdam within the city limits. And the, the capital of Crete is a little bigger than Almira, just to give you some benchmark. The population would have been similar back then too. It hasn't grown a whole lot. And uh, it had about 100 cities or towns, or 100 towns around the island at the time. Now, we know that there is a Christian uh, population there. Otherwise, um, we wouldn't be reading what's being read here. Uh, and it is very likely that came as a result of Pentecost. Because we know there were Jews living on the island of Crete. And at Pentecost, Jews were a pilgrim to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And what do we know about Pentecost? The Holy Spirit fell. Peter gets up and preaches, and uh, thousands came to Christ. So it's very likely that some of those Jews from Crete came to Jesus whilst they were uh, pilgrimaging to Jerusalem. They then came back. They started to preach the gospel. People started to get saved from around the different towns around the island, and groups began to emerge. Out of those groups, some churches began. And now there are churches around the island, there's groups in different towns, and there's believers living on different streets, uh, but there aren't enough people to be responsible for them. So Pete, Paul has had to leave, and he's left this injunction to Titus. He says, uh, I want you to complete what has begun, and that is, there's been a move of God, uh, but I want you to appoint people who can be responsible for these groups. I want you to appoint pastors to the churches that have none. I want you to send church planters to towns that have no Christians. I want you to plant believers in streets that have no believers. I want you to appoint a, a, a philosophy and an ability to cope with the fact that we're going to see hope on every street. That's effectively what he's trying to say. And Titus was up for it. He stayed behind and that's what he began to do. He began to appoint these people in all the neighborhoods around the island, around Crete. The thought is this. If we can get people living on streets pastoring their street, then we're going to get to a point where we're going to see hope alive on those streets and it will become, effect, uh, um, uh, uh, it will become contagious. <coughs> Gosh, I'm not used to using such big words. It will become contagious within a neighborhood and maybe we'll have a group starting in your street. And so I'm here today to do something very unusual and that is to commission you as pastors to your street. Now at a European conference every year, we commission pastors. We, we pray for pastors who have just planted or are about to plant churches and uh, uh, we have years where that could be 20 or 25 people but never have I commissioned what by the end of today will have been about 450, 500 people to go and pastor their street. There's a new one on me, it's a new one on you, but that's what I'm going to do if you want it. By the end of the service, I'm ordaining you as a pastor to your 
street. Not to my street, got that sorted. To your street. Not to some other city, that's a cop out, to your street. Not to Hawaii, that's really a cop out, to your street. (laughs) I'm going to commission you to your street. Because I can't get to your street. Pastor Louie can't get to your street. Fritz Halbricks, who puts out all these flowers, is not going to your street. He loves being here at eight, eight in the morning. He's probably praying for every, every seat. That's what I'm imagining he's doing. But you can reach your street. I'm appointing you as a pastor to the street because whilst apostles break new ground, every believer is responsible for taking new ground. So an apostle is there to go ahead and do this, and that's why I've told you that we've been doing it for 25 years. Apostle is to go ahead and break new ground, but you're there to take the new ground. That's your responsibility as a believer. So I'm going to show you this map. If you were here last week, you would have seen this map that came up on, str- on screen, which was to illustrate what I talked about last week, and that is we occupy our streets through prayer. So if we're going to see hope on every street, we need to be praying for our streets. So that was your action, as I said. Uh, and I, I, I showed this to illustrate if everyone, you can just get through those real quick. If everyone is circling their little neighborhood, and it'll only take you about 15 minutes to get around your immediate neighborhood. If everyone's praying, and praying, praying, and praying, and praying, you can see we will get the whole city completely circled in prayer. The whole city circled in prayer with 800 people doing their job in their area. I know some of you live outside of that circle. You can move. It's okay. Uh, come closer. <laughs> We've got some vacancies in Western. We've got some vacancies in South Oast and vacancies in Elmira. Come on. Come a little closer. No, it's okay. Love where you're living. But we can be saturating the entire region in prayer. Now just imagine, you're not, you're not just praying, but now just imagine that represents you pastoring your street. Now, it would have been messy to put up as many circles as we needed to, but can you imagine every one of those people pastoring their street, looking after their street, being responsible, caring, loving, looking out for, seeing a need, meeting a need, seeing a hurt, healing a hurt, watching, seeing, observing, praying for, waiting for opportunities, taking opportunities, saying hello to their neighbor, getting to know their neighbor, inviting their neighbor for coffee, having a street party, having a dinner party, doing what most people say is unusual. When I moved to the house we're in, people said to me, oh, the culture when you move to a new house is you wait for, wait for your neighbor to bump into you and then you introduce yourself. So what did we do? One neighbor I went to before we moved in, I knocked on his door and introduced myself. The next neighbor after we moved in, day after we moved in or so, I went to his door, knocked on his door, uh, introduced myself. He invited us for dinner that night. Um, so uh, we did the unusual. That's not usual. It's not common. Do the unusual. And you go, I can't do the unusual. That's not etiquette that people think you're weird. No, they won't think you're weird. They think you're unusual, not weird. They think you're unusual in a nice way. They go, oh, people don't usually do this. This That's nice. When we we threw a street party um, in our street, it wasn't because we knew everyone. It was because we didn't know everyone. And it was interesting because people went, oh, I'm glad you've done that because I don't know everyone either and I wanted to get to know them. They go, oh, thank you for doing that unusual thing. It's given me an opportunity to get to know my neighbor who I didn't know. The truth is, the people in your street don't really know each other that well. Probably, that's the likelihood. For you to make the first move, you're doing the unusual, but people appreciate it. And so what I'm asking you to do is go out and do the unusual so we can saturate our neighborhoods with what God's planned for us to do. Let me put it this way. 
in terms of a call. Joshua, we looked at Joshua last week. Um, I'm going to say last week a lot so you get the podcast if you want to hear. Uh, Joshua circled the city of Jericho. Let's just call that a promise. And we talked about praying around the promise. Because as you pray around the promise, you're getting focused and it's a greater chance God's going to deliver something to you. And God had promised that he was going to deliver Jericho to the Israelites. But before he went, before Joshua circled the cities, he was visited by an angel. I'm not sure he knew it was an angel at the time, but it was a, it was a, a, a soldier with a sword. Uh, uh, he was dressed as a soldier. Uh, and Joshua goes, who are you? He goes, well, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now, that's pretty freaky, right? It's freaky enough being visited by an angel, let alone one that says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. That's a pretty big position. Any commander I respect and I would salute. And so he says to the commander, so he obviously wasn't that afraid, he goes, hey, are you for us or are you for them? Now, how many times have you been in prayer and, and, and really what you've been consumed with is, God, are you for me? Or, God, are you, you going to answer me? God, uh, uh, will you bless me? And God, are you looking out for me? And, and uh, how, how, how often have you been in prayer and that's been the orientation of your prayer? God, me, me, me. And so the commander said this. He wanted us to get the record straight. He's going, he basically said, you're asking the wrong question. I'm not for you. I'm not for them. It's irrelevant. I'm here on behalf of God. He says, take off your shoes. It's a command. This is holy ground. He just wanted to make sure that Joshua had his heart in the right place, not for uh, an outcome or for his own needs or his own situation, but he was wanting to do what God wanted him to do. In the words of J.F. Kennedy in his inaugural speech, he said, don't ask what the country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. I believe that's what we need to be saying. God, I'm not asking what you can do for me. I'm asking you what I can do for you. Now, if you were ever to ask him that prayer, and I can tell you already, to save you the prayer, what he's going to tell you, he's going to say, what I really, really want, if you really, really want to know, is I want to see hope on every street. Oh, really, God? Well, thank you for telling me. What can I do about that? Well, if you ask him that question, what he's going to say to you is, well, what you could do is you could um, just circle your neighborhood and pray for them. That would be awesome. All right, God, is there anything else I can do? And if you ask that question, what he'd say to you is, he'd say, well, what you could do is um, receive the commission. Get the mindset. See yourself as a pastor. What do you think a pastor would do in, 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 in you know, traditional terms? What do you think a pastor would do? I say in traditional terms. It's not, it's not what I do, but it is what I do outside of ours. What does a pastor do? Oh, they go visit people. They visit the sick. They pray for them, and they eat cucumber sandwiches and drink cups of tea. That's what they do. All right, go and do that. Go and do that. On your street. That's what he would say if you asked him. Uh, and then if you were to say, God, how could we impact our neighborhood? What he would say to you is, well, you need to come back next week for that answer. That's what I'm preaching next week. The question to us is this. Are you more concerned about what he can do for you than what you can do for him? Or are you going to rise up to a call? Why did I visit Mr. and Mrs. Porter? Did I have... What I thought were better things to do as a task-oriented cleric. Yes. But there was a compulsion inside of me. There was like this compelling that I've had since I became a believer. 
that it is my responsibility to look after my neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Said a person to Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Well, it is anybody around you who needs you. You have Jesus in you and they don't. Is there anyone in your world who doesn't need you? No. Everyone you come across, everyone you meet, everyone you bump into deserves something of Christ to rub off from you to them. So my question is, why is it so often we find ourselves not doing it? Anybody want the answer to why it is we often don't do it? I've got three answers for you. The first is this. It's usually a lack of confidence. Well, that's for the evangelist. And by the way, today I'm not talking about evangelism. I'm talking about love. It's love that will change our city. It's love that will draw people to Christ. It's no accident that I read out that mo most of that passage, although I'm preaching that Titus was to appoint, um, appoint pastors on every street, uh, it, it, I, I then went on to read the majority of that passage was not about that. It was the behavior of a Christian. It calls it an elder, but to be honest, every Christian should live like that. Why did I read that out? Because all I'm asking us to do is be public about how we live out our life for Christ. Now, Gideon was a great example of this. He struggled with his confidence. Gideon was hiding, doing his stuff in a wine press at a time when Israel was being attacked. Tens of thousands of troops waiting to attack Israel. And God turns up to Gideon. And he says, Gideon, I need you. What do you need me for? I wasn't asking. He goes, but I need you. Yeah, but uh, why would you come to me? I'm, I'm the least in my family, and my family is the least in our tribe, and our tribe is the least of all tribes in Israel. Why me? Why pick on me? I can give you a whole list of other people you could have gone to. Why me? And he goes, well, it, as you read through the story, you get to realize the reason why he chose Gideon was because he wanted to do more with less. Because it goes on to, to, to say and tell us that when Gideon goes, well, where, where's my soldiers? I'm going to face thousands and thousands of the enemy. I need an army to go out. Uh, he goes, well, I'll give you 300. He goes, 300? I got tens of thousands I've got to defeat out here. What am I going to do with 300? Lord, respectfully, you can do it because I'm with you. So Gideon, he gets his house in order, and then he had to work on some things because his family were idol worshippers, and so God said, you have to pull those things down first. And it was interesting that work always starts at home, doesn't it? You've got to get to work on yourself, and then you sort of get to work on your family. And then, so, so it's not it's all very well saying, oh, I'm called to reach China. I'm going to go to China and see many people saved. And go, go and I can witness there. And, and, and when I ask you, to, well, have you led anybody to Christ in your family? Or have you loved on your neighbors? You go, no. Well, well I ain't going to work in China if you never made it work here. It isn't any easier over there than it is here. It's, it's still you that you take with you. It's still the same you. And so our job is to keep working on us so that we live out the behaviors that Paul was talking to Titus about. Be self-controlled. Be patient. Be loving. Don't get drunk. Be hospitable. Uh, just working on the behaviors. Because all I'm talking about when it comes to pastoring your street is living out that publicly. You're awesome. Greet your neighbor with a smile. Get into conversation if you think they've got time. Just engage. 
love. I visited a neighbor this week, uh, and, um, and as we were chatting together, I found out that he was, you know, was well, I didn't take much fun out, it was pretty obvious he wasn't well, he was sick, and so, um, uh, and so later on the next day, uh, I would sometimes pray with him, but his family came in, and so I didn't take the moment at that point, but I, I asked, I just WhatsApped him the next day, I said, uh, how are you doing? Very simple. He said, you know what, I'm a lot better. I said, awesome, I was praying for you, which I was, obviously. Um, So he then goes, thank you. Real simple conversation. Real simple setup. But I realized that all I had to do was live out and show my Christian life. If I'm really honest with you, all I've ever done, all Lisbon and I have ever done, is open our lives to people and just let them see. We've had people come to us who... uh, some who we don't, we had two neighbors. Um, oh, I've got so many stories. It's two minutes. What do you want? <laughs> I had a had a neighbor, a teenage gothic neighbor come to me for girlfriend advice once. I didn't know him very well. But you know what? It, it told me a lot. It told me that there's a lot of people who haven't got many places to go to when, when, when they hit something. And so sometimes, for some people, having just been just a nice person in their world and then just waiting... It's, it's waiting for an opportunity that will come. Everyone has their moment. With another neighbor who we did know a lot better and were in their world quite a lot and I went to soccer matches with her husband. I didn't really enjoy it. But I went, it was flipping cold, watching football in the middle of winter. But I went, got to know them and she had a crisis. Didn't go to family, didn't go to other friends. They came straight, she came straight to Lisbon and so if I'm going to get through this, I need you. I need you to walk me through this. You know, we're not experts at different things. The reason I went to my neighbor this week is because he's just a brilliant DIY man. And I had a DIY question to ask him. What was my excuse for going in? You don't have to be brilliant at much. You just need to know that the wonder of Jesus is living inside of you. In Corinthians, it says that you walk around with a fragrance, the aroma of Christ. If there's anything that builds confidence when you've got lack of confidence, knowing that the fragrance of Christ is in, the, in you, living in you. That's to make you think I'm about to close. Point two. The other reason why we often uh, don't do it is, is because of a lack of compassion. It can be a lack of confidence, but there can be a lack of compassion. We, we don't stop. We don't stop to feel what people might be going through. And yet nearly every significant thing Jesus did was triggered out of a moment of compassion he fed 5,000 people and we're told he did it because they were like sheep without a shepherd he was moved with compassion often when he healed the sick it says he did it out of compassion when was the last time you allowed your heart to be moved by what you think someone might be going through the reason I like to remind myself of my stories and by the way um, we're posting some great stories of hope on Instagram at the minute to go with this series of hope on every street. Not the series, but this vision casting. 
so I've shared my story on there and so you can see what I've traveled through. The reason why I like going back to that is it helps me realize the pains I've gone through, which makes me then go, okay, if that's me along the street, and I live in a street with some high flyers, and some of them I'd go, okay, you're successful, you're successful. You're, no, maybe not, you're successful. But I can guarantee, I can guarantee in every one of their lives, whether their life is outwardly successful or not, there'll be some inward pain. And it's so good for me to go back to mine because I find that and through prayer triggers the ability for me to connect with them because compassion will turn the city upside down. There's many things we like to proclaim will turn it upside down. But I find it interesting that every move of God that Jesus created seemed to get triggered by compassion. When was the last time you felt what your neighbor might be going through. Finally, the other thing we lack is potentially the connection. We lack the connection. You go, well, I don't know anyone on my street. Make it easy for self. Start with one. Just spot one person. You think, oh, I could get a click with them. That'd be cool. Not that you need a click. This been I did not click with Mr. and Mrs. Porter. <laughs> it was not a click. There was a massive generational um, gap right there. But we love them. But what's someone you think you might click with? Go, oh, say hello. Let the hello turn into a conversation. Let the conversation turn into how are you? Follow up the conversation. Pray for them. Go away and pray for them. They might just start to open up a little bit and then you're in the world, invite them around for dinner, invite the street round for a party. It's not so unusual. Be that sort of person. And you will find the connection. I need to close because i got something really important I need to do, and that is pray for you. My question to you is this. If every street needs a pastor, because every person deserves love, if it isn't you, then who? And if you don't do it now, then when? You're not needing to answer that question to me, but you need to answer that question to yourself because it's a very serious question. For God to love the world, every street, every person, how does the expressive love if it's not through you? If not you, then who? There may be no other believer on your street that puts you in a very significant situation. But the wonderful thing about responsibility is this. You rise. When you feel responsible, you upscale your life. When you know that people are suddenly starting to expect things from you or look into you, you upscale your life. When you know that you could walk into a store and at any moment someone would know you, you, you upscale your life. That is the passage in Titus. I encourage you to go home and read it, that, that list of behaviors. Suddenly you take them seriously because you know people are watching. I go to so many places, bump into people I know. Went to Ikea yesterday. Bumped into Fernando and Fabricia. Go, oh my gosh, can't escape anyone, anywhere, anytime. That was wonderful, actually. And, uh, but what it does is it means that you take seriously self-control, patience, love. I was buying something in a, in a store the other day. 
And you know, you know what it's like when you're on your own, you're just shopping and it's my day off. And you know, on your day off, you're allowed to be moody and mopey and moany and complaining, aren't you? So I was glad I was in a good mood. I was smiling and there was these shop assistants chatting and it always annoys me if they think their conversation is more important than serving me. So I don't mean serving me. I mean, I want to buy something. I want to part with my money. And so I, I go to the counter. I go, hey, I'd love to buy this. Smile on my face. And the girl turns to me and goes, you're the pastor of C3, aren't you? I went, Jesus, I was in a good mood today. It makes you realize when you have responsibility, you upscale. So the fact you're going to feel responsible for the street is a good thing. You're going to go, hey, because it starts at home. I'm going to work through that impatience issue I've got. I'm going to work through that anger issue I've got. I'm going to work through that thing because it's starting at home. Why don't we stand to our feet? The power of God is here. The presence of God is here. you want to be commissioned today as a pastor of the street, that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to pray for you. So why don't you just reach out your hands to heaven and we're going to pray. I can't make you do this. I don't want to even make you do it. It's a choice. It's a choice for you to want to. But I do want to say to you, if you feel intimidated by it, please join the club. I think even now, to be quite honest, at times I still find it a little intimidating. There's still moments where I go, I'd rather be doing something else. Or I've been doing it for a long time. I've learned this one thing. If I rise to it, fruit comes from it. So Jesus, I ask right now for every person in this place that really wants to take up the call to be a pastor to their street, you pour out an oil of anointing. I pray that the burden that you've given Lisbon and I right now will get upon every person in this room. Father, I pray that the anointing of a call that I feel but is actually a call for every believer would also get on every person in this room. That the oil of your anointing fall. Equip us. Put courage in us. Put joy in our spirit. It will be just naturally, organically bright and fun people to be neighbors to. And God, I'm believing right now that we will see exponential move of God and above and beyond abundance move of God throughout our city this year. Because as we take a small step, we know you take a giant leap. We know that we're just small hinges holding up a huge door of opportunity for you to walk through and win so many people to Christ. Well, thank you for listening today. I want to take a few more moments of your time because it may be today you realize that you need to get your relationship right with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never asked Him into your life before. Or maybe for some reason you've been, you've been moving 
away from him. And today, I want to invite you to come back to him. Or it may be that you're just not sure you're going to heaven. And so I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And I would really love for you to say this prayer with me. And then straight after this prayer, I would love you to do something for me. But hey, let's pray right now. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died for me. I ask that you would forgive me. I turn away from my past and I give you my life. Come and live in me. I thank you that today I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that prayer, today the Holy Spirit has done something in your life. And so I want you to tell us about it. I want you to email info at c3amsterdam.nl and let us know you've made this decision and let us have your address because I'd love to send you a book that will help you make this decision really strong and become a follower of Jesus. And we'll also be able to help you get planted in a church near you. God bless you.